From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? Who's excited that spring actually showed up somewhat? It's coming. Oh my goodness, I feel, I feel good about that. I love, I come alive in the spring, I die a little bit in the winter, just so you know, I die a little bit in the winter, I come alive in the spring. Um, I want to I talk a little bit more about uh, Easter, not, you know, I don't want to be redundant um, and share the things that uh, Pastor Michelle already shared, but I want to talk a little bit about the why of what we're doing. It's, a, it's our heart as a church uh, to be proactive in reaching our community. Right? When I think about the life of Jesus and what Jesus did and how he reached, he was, he was proactive in reaching people. And so we want to be a church that is, that is actively engaged in our community. And, and I, I don't want us just to, to do church for the sake of the church. Right? I don't want us to just to do church. I want us to be the church. I want us to be the church and do whatever we can to help people meet Jesus. That's, that's our heart as a church. And, and when, I, when I think about the two times a year that people are more likely to be open and engage with, with church and Jesus, it's Easter and Christmas. Those are two times a year that people are more, more actively open to walking on the grounds of a church, maybe even stepping foot in a building where they wouldn't before, and actually engage with church. And so we want to we do those times well. And I want to think about Easter. It's all about Jesus, right? Obviously, we know that. If you're a Christian, you've been going to church for a while. Easter is all about Jesus. And Jesus came, the Bible says, not for the righteous, but for the sinners, Right? Not for the healthy, but for the sick. And so we just want to be, we want to be engaging our community. And so we're doing what we can strategically, not just for the sake of having chocolate, although some of us love chocolate, not just for the sake of doing something fun, although we want it to be fun and exciting, but we want to be strategic and doing what we can. So, so unchurched people and non-churched people maybe, maybe step foot and say, I got I to gotta see what's going on here. This, this church is doing something, and I can see what's going on, and, and, and hopefully we can introduce them to Jesus. The message is the same. The method shifts a little bit, right? The method um, changes, but the message does not and does not get watered down. We, we preach Jesus, we love Jesus, and we want to reach people with Jesus, and that's a little bit about why. That's why we're doing all the things we're doing for Easter. And so like Pastor Michelle said, we need about 40 to 45 volunteers to make this thing happen. Also, people can meet Jesus, not so we can have a nice... Easter egg outreach, which is good, but so people can meet Jesus, right? So sign up. There's a lot of different positions that you can sign up for. Um, if you're like, I don't even know how to do them, just sign up for them anyway, and we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. But again, we want people to meet Jesus. That is the priority, so whatever we can do. And I was talking with a friend of mine who's also a pastor. We were talking about early Pentecostals and how early Pentecostals did whatever they could to, for people to meet Jesus, whatever they could. You know, they, they put gyms in churches, and people were like, why are you putting, we're not a community center, but they did whatever they could to get people in the door so that they could hear the gospel message, and that's what we want to do. That's what we're about. So that's what we're doing Easter for. We want to do it big. We want to be exciting, but it's, it's strategic. Are you ready this morning? Yeah. We're in a series called Taking Ground, and we're looking at stories through the book of Joshua. I love, I'm loving this series, and I'm loving going through the book of Joshua. I don't know about you, but I'm actually learning lots. And I learn more the more I engage in scripture. Um, all scripture, the Bible says, is God-breathed, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Not just the New Testament, 
not just the stories and teachings of Jesus, but all scripture. Jesus often referred to the Old Testament. So we're believing that the spirit who inspired the authors in the New Testament also inspired the authors of the Old Testament and that he can still illuminate something to us and we can learn from it. Um, so here's my challenge off the top. Lean in. Lean in this morning because I can share and someone else can share, but unless you actively engage this morning, not necessarily me sharing, but what the Spirit may be wanting to say to you, you may miss what God wants to say to you. You may hear, but you may not hear what God wants to say to you. And so lean in this morning, and I believe that God is going to speak to you as an individual. Joshua is a book of conquest, of wars, and of challenges, of fighting against enemies to conquer land, and for people to find rest from oppression, statelessness, and slavery. It's a story of when God's people had left slavery in Egypt and were traveling towards and entering into the land that was promised then, a beautiful, rich land. But in order to live within the promise, they needed to go through some stuff along the way. They needed to go through some stuff along the way. And as we look at those things, I believe that we can look at our own lives and see how we can also take ground. How as the Israelites took ground in their lives, we can look at our lives and see how can I take ground in my own life. So if you've been tracking with us a little bit, uh, first we checked out Numbers 13 and 14 and how the previous generation of God's people were prohibited from entering the promised land because they couldn't see the promise for the problem. They couldn't see the promise for the problem. And we talked about how what we're looking for determines what we see. And that's still true. What you're looking for determines what you see. So if you're looking for possibilities, you'll see possibilities. If you're looking for challenges, you're going to see challenges. If you're looking for problems, you're going to see problems. What you're looking for determines what you see. Then we checked out Joshua chapter 1. The previous generation had died off except Joshua and Caleb and a whole new generation, a whole new generation. And God said to them, get ready. And it was a call to rise up, to wake up from their slumber, to pack their things, to throw off whatever's going to hinder them, and to get ready to enter the promised land and, uh, and run their race. And then last week, we looked at Joshua chapter 2, at the story of Rahab and the Jericho spies, and we discovered how God will use and save anybody and weave them into his story of redemption, which is just a really cool, cool story. And if you remember, Rahab was a prostitute and a brothel owner, and she is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus which is just amazing to me. And today we're going to check out um, Joshua chapter 3, when the Israelite people literally crossed over the Jordan River and entered the land, part 4, and then we're going to go through more stories in the book of Joshua. It's going to be good. But let's pray this morning. Let's, uh, let's believe God's going to speak. Father, in the name of Jesus, we open our hearts. I open my heart, God, to what you want to do, to what you want to say this morning. We believe your word is active. It's living, God. It's, it's able to pierce, God, through our heart and our spirit. And so we just pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would speak this morning. Lord, that we learn something new, God, and we leave here changed and transformed, God, able to maybe take ground in our own lives, God. Maybe we can look at the problems and, and the things and situations that are in our lives, God, and we can stand in those, and we can just declare that the presence of God is in this situation as we stand in those situations. So be with us this morning, and let us leave here changed by your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. I don't know if you know this, but as we go through life, we may experience things that stop us from getting from where we are to where we need to be. Right? Things, and this is just some natural things, maybe some spiritual things, maybe emotional things, mental things. Um, Jody and I were, were traveling to Algonquin uh, Park area to a bed and breakfast up there on our first year anniversary. Um, we were excited. I don't know if you've ever been to a bed and breakfast, but they're amazing because you get a bed and you get breakfast and it's provided for you. And um, we actually went to this one. It was crazy because he showed up. It looked really beautiful. And there was this giant, massive dog. I don't know if you've ever seen a mastiff, but they're massive. And uh, it comes out of the house, and I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> like, 
But he was gentle, he was nice. But we were traveling to this place. And if you've ever traveled in around that area, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. You know, you got trees everywhere and stone cliffs. It's just amazing to see God's creation. And as we're traveling, all of a sudden, the traffic ahead of us has come to a stop. And the traffic on the other side coming this way has come to a stop. Everyone's at a stalemate, and people are getting out of their cars. And so I'm, I'm half curious, and I'm half frustrated because I want to get to the bed and breakfast and do first anniversary kind of things, right? We want to be, you're we excited, and we're laughing and giggling, and then we come to this stop. But like everybody else, we had to stop because there's no way around it. So we stop, and then we get out of our car. And we're checking out because that's what people do. We're nosy creatures, right? We're checking out what's going on. And sure enough, there was a mother skunk and her babies. I don't think there was like three or four babies crossing the road, stopped tons and tons of traffic. And everyone's out of their cars checking these out. Don't be fooled. They're still skunks. They're stinky, okay? Just because they look cute and cuddly, they're stinky. And it had come to a complete stop. And so we had to stop. There was something that was getting in our way. And I don't know if you've ever been driving before and had something stop you um, from traveling, but I have a lot. And I Googled. Weirdest things blocking roads, and I got some examples for you this morning. Maybe you've experienced anything like this if you're a driver. A giant float-sized inflatable Santa Claus sitting in the middle of the road. Maybe you've ever been driving before, obviously Santa Claus. Santa is there. He's there. He's in, he's in the road. An emu running down the middle of the highway. An emu. Emu, emu is kind of like the, the black sheep of the ostrich family, right? We always think of ostriches, but then an emu. What is an emu? A sheepdog in Scotland named Don, who decided to drive a tractor in the middle of the road. I'm wondering how a dog can drive a tractor. A robot in Russia that had escaped from a science lab. Right? Interesting. It was learning how to move around on its own. We are in 2019, people. A truck spillage of a massive amount of spaghetti. A massive amount of spaghetti. Some of you would be like, Busting out some pasta and some feta cheese or whatever you put on. What kind of Parmesan cheese. That's what you put on there. Not feta cheese. That would just be weird. Some people ketchup on spaghetti. It's strange to me. A giant, this is the last one, a giant float-sized inflatable minion, which had been displayed on a fairground, had blown away. Have you ever felt like there's something in your way? Something from stopping you getting from where you are to where you need to be? Maybe it's a spiritual thing, emotional Mental, maybe physical, maybe relational. Have you ever come to an impasse? Right? A situation where progress seems impossible. And here's the story that we encountered today in Joshua chapter 3. God's people find themselves in a situation where progress seems impossible. See, after being set free from captivity in Egypt, the people had been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. And I don't know if you've ever really thought about that, but wandering, wondering what God is doing for 40 years. They were promised a new land, productive, rich, beautiful land to own and live and rest. And now they're just about to enter that new land. But one thing stands in their way, the Jordan River. The Jordan River. I wonder this morning, what stands in your way from getting from where you are to where you need to be? Can I just tell you this morning, if you catch nothing else, just catch this this morning. God wants you to get where he wants you to be more than you want to be where he wants you to be. God wants to get you where he wants you to be more than you want to be where he wants you to be. It's true. But what stands in our way? And how can we work at our salvation while God works in us? So God had, or Joshua had just brought the people from the area of Shittim to a place called Imam, or modern-day Imam, 
And he brought them from this place to camp out just on the edge of the Jordan River um, for three days before crossing over. But there was a situation with the Jordan River. The Jordan River was in harvest season, which meant that it was overflowing and the river was flowing fast and it was flowing fiercely. I don't know if you've ever been near a river that's, that's raging, but it's not something that you want to get caught up in. You can actually Google, if you want, YouTube Jordan River flood season. You can see what this would look like. I did. So imagine if you still have imaginations. Fierce flowing, rapid water. Situation, they got to get to the other side. They got to cross over. But what is in front of them is fierce flowing, overflowing, raging water. Now you have to consider the amount of people that are traveling here. The scriptures record there's probably around 600,000 able-bodied men. That does not include sick, that does not include elderly, that does not include women, that does not include children. And so scholars suggest if you include all those, we're looking at upwards to 2.5 million people, not including their cattle. Joshua's got to take 2.5 million people from one side of this river to the other side of this river. I have a hard time traveling with a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a baby, right? 2.5 million people, and this is what God says to Joshua. He says, tell the people this, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. Then you'll know the way to go since you've never been this way before. It's been three days camping out on the edge of the Jordan River, and this is the only information they have. Three days, they have a fierce flowing river in front of them. The land is on the other side, and they're told, when you see the ark carried by the priests, follow it because you don't know where to go. And I'd be like, okay, where's it going to go? Because there's a raging river in front of us. There's a raging river. And at this point, they weren't told how they'd cross over. They weren't told how they'd cross over, just that when it's time to go, follow the presence of God. When it's time to go, follow the presence of God. You may not know the way to go, but follow the presence of God. And this is a really good picture of what it's like to follow Jesus sometimes. This is a really good picture of what it's like to be led by the Spirit. You don't always know where to go. You don't always know how you're going to get there. You don't know how you're going to cross over. You don't, you don't know how you're going to get through. We don't know how it's going to happen. We may have a glimpse. We may have a picture. But while we don't know, he knows. And while we don't know, he knows, and we're to follow him. I don't know how to get over, but he knows. I don't know how it's going to happen, but he knows. I don't know what the plan is, but he knows the plan. I don't know how I'm going to get through, but he knows how you're going to get through. I don't know how I'm going to overcome this, but he knows how you're going to overcome. You may not see a way, but God knows a way. You may not see the way through. You may see a raging river. You may see an impasse. You may see progress being impossible, but God knows the way. Before we came here, um, for about two years, we sensed God doing something in our lives. Two years, God was stirring us, and we didn't know necessarily to what. We just know that our season at Faith Welland was coming to an end, and we didn't know what to do, but only to do what we knew to do, and that was keep doing what we were already doing. And so we just kept doing what we were doing, trusting that God was going to do what he could do, and that eventually he'd lead us. And so we just took steps, and God established our steps, and two years later, we find ourselves here. We didn't know how we were going to get here. We didn't even know we were coming here at first. We didn't know what was going to happen, but God knew. And I felt like what I imagined the Israelites felt like, knowing that God was leading them somewhere, but we're at an impasse. Progress seems impossible. It was frustrating at times. It was exhausting at times. It was uncertain at times, stressful. But when we reached our limits, we have to trust a limitless God. When we don't see a way, we have to trust a God who sees a way. So they reached as far as they could go. They'd reached as far as they could uh, reach, they're at an impasse with the only instructions to follow the ark when it sets out. 
because you don't know the way to go. And so the ark is important here. The ark was a gold-covered wooden chest that actually had within it two stone tablets, which etched the Ten Commandments on, and also Aaron's staff. And the ark represented the physical presence of God among the people. It was the token presence of God, tangible and physical. Later on, if you read the stories of David and the stories of kings, when you, wherever you see the ark, God's, God's presence was there, and that area was blessed because of the ark. So, so when the Israelites are told to follow the ark, it's not like, hey, follow the caravan and the first car that's going. Just, just wherever it's going, just go that way. It's not follow the priest, it's follow God. It's not when you see the priests set out carrying the ark, follow the priests. It's when you see the ark set out. When you see the very tangible presence of God moved, carried by the priests, follow the ark. We don't follow a physical ark today. Some of you may be like, well, I do. <laughs> it's in my backyard. We don't follow a physical ark today because of Jesus' work on the cross. The presence of God no longer resides in a wooden chest. Presence of God no longer resides in a building, in a temple. Presence of God resides in believers, people who call on the name of the Lord, people who, who identify as Christ followers through the Spirit of God. And the Bible says the Spirit of God leads us and guides us if, if we keep in step with the Spirit. He will lead you and guide you as he's in you if you keep in step with the Spirit. That's what Galatians 5 tells us to do, to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And I just want to read this for you. Verse 19 of Galatians 5 says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. They're obvious. We should know this. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. And all of us are like, well, that's, I don't do any of that. How about this? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Well, that was a little closer to home, right? Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I like how he put, and the like, because it's not just, you know, this list. It's this stuff, this kind of stuff, are the acts of the flesh. And then he goes on, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And we know this, right? If you've been in church for a while, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit in us is the presence of God who leads us if we keep in step with him. He leads us just like he led the Israelites with the ark, with his tangible presence. He leads us as he resides in us if we keep in step with him. We're not told to follow priests who are carrying an ark. We're told to be led by the spirit of God who is in us. And that's when we know which way to go. Like, I don't know where to go. Well, the spirit of God lives in you. Well, I don't know which way to go. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to cross over. Keep in step with the spirit. And he will lead you. The Israelites didn't know where to, how to go. They didn't know how they're going to cross over. Just when the ark sits out, follow the ark. In the same way, when the spirit leads you, follow the spirit. Follow the spirit. So let me ask you this. What do you need to cross over from? Where are you hanging out in that you need to cross over from? What do you need to cross over to? Where do you need to take ground? I've I got a list here for you. From sin to freedom. It's the junk drawer, right? The easy one. From death to life. From addiction to sobriety, maybe from anger to self-control, hatred to love, bitterness to forgiveness, pain to healing, doubt, got to cross over from doubt to trust, sexual sin to purity, uncertainty to peace, 
divisions and factions to unity, envy to gratefulness, rage to gentleness, slander towards a life lost to found broken. I feel broken. I need to cross over from some brokenness to feeling whole. Despair to hopeful. The Bible says that we are new creations in Christ Jesus to put off the old and cross over and put on the new. That we are no longer to live the way we lived before Jesus was in our life, but we need to cross over and put on the new. And we need to continue to cross over. I don't know if you figured this out. We're works in progress. I know I am. There's still things in my life. There's things in my life that I don't even know are there. And when the right time, the Spirit's going to be like, hey, uh, see this area? I need to cross over. Time to cross over. In order to do so, we follow the leading of the Spirit, not the flesh. And that's really a good litmus test to see where you are, right? How am I doing in my faith journey? Where am I at with God? You know, am, do I look and act? And is my character the same as Christ, or is it a little bit different? Right? Am, I, am I engaging in acts of the flesh, or am I, am I walking and living and, and bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Where am I at? And the Bible says to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. If you haven't done that recently, just check out that list that I just gave. Or Galatians chapter 5. What are the acts of the flesh? Where, where am I landing more? Am I landing over here? Am I landing over here? And then you can ask yourself, am I being led by the Spirit, or am I being led by my flesh? Do I need to cross over? Follow the presence of God. The next instruction they receive is this. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. See, before in Joshua chapter 1, we read that he told them to get ready, right? To pack their things, and pack their supplies, rise up and get ready. Now they're told to consecrate themselves, for God was going to do something amazing, right? Something that would make them go, wow, but in order to see it, in order to experience it, in order to walk in it, they needed to consecrate themselves, not concentrate, right? Don't focus really hard on following God. Consecrate. The word means to make clean, to make holy, to make puri, to appoint and dedicate oneself to cleanse of unrighteousness. And do you know who does that, does that for us? It's Jesus. He makes us holy because you can't. He purifies us because you can't. He sets us apart. He consecrates us. But if we're not careful, we can allow the unholy to creep back in. Right? We can allow the acts of the flesh to creep back in. We can allow the impure to find a place in our heart. We may be saved by Jesus, but something may be in us that's preventing us from actually taking the next step in our life. You tracking with me? There are things in our life, in our hearts, that can actually prohibit us from experiencing the work of God in our lives. There are things inside of us, in our hearts, that can prohibit us from crossing over from where we are to where we need to be. Ephesians 5 tells us this. In verse 34, it says to get rid of it. It goes on to say, because the enemy desires to get a foothold in your life. Do you know there's a very real enemy that's trying to work against you? As you're trying to cross over, as you're trying to move forward, there's an enemy who's pushing against you, and he will try to find a foothold. I don't know if you've ever had, you know, if you got siblings and you're a kid and you were fighting with your sibling and one's trying to close the door, one's trying to open it, wants to get a foot in there, everybody's just lost because you can't do anything when there's a foot there. Same with the enemy. If he can get a foothold in your life, he, he, he's like, I don't want the garage door, I just want a foothold because then I can get in and I can feed lies in and I can feed deception in, and I can feed impurity, and I can set things in there that are going to cause you to get off course. 
and prohibit God from working in your life and prohibit you from walking over. And then you get trapped in bitterness and you get trapped in anger and you get trapped in doubt because the enemy's got a foothold and the Bible says to get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it, it says. Ephesians chapter four. So consecrate yourself, Joshua says. Get rid of the sin, bring it to God, put it off. And I started thinking, you know, the people were probably focusing on the river, right? They see this raging river flowing between them. It's like, man, how are we gonna cross over that? He's like, hey, I got a plan for that. But before we even get there, we need to work on the inside, right? Before we even cross over here, let's, let's do some work here, right? Before we figure out all this stuff, and we do that, right? We look at the external stuff and be like, man, this is hard, and this is difficult, and this is frustrating, and this is stressful. God's like, pause. I got a plan for that. But first, let's look at here. But this person and this person, totally. But I got a plan for that. But let's... Let's work on him in your heart first. Let's look at the inside. See, sometimes we think it's the Jordan River's preventing us from moving forward, but it's actually something that's hanging out inside of us that we need to consecrate ourselves for. And I was thinking too, right, you can't be led by the Spirit without this step. You can't, you can't be led by the Spirit without this step because as you choose to follow the leading of the Spirit in you, he's gonna reveal some things about you that you need to work on. He's like, absolutely, we're gonna go here, but as we're going here, we need to figure this out first. We need to, you can't. You can't, have, you can't have one or the other. It's both steps in order to take ground. Follow the ark. Follow the presence of God. Now consecrate yourself two steps. So the priests, they take up the ark, and God says this. He says this. Tell the priests who carry the ark of the covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the fierce, flowing, raging River. Listen, if you want to be a trailblazer for the kingdom of God, sometimes you got to stand in the rivers. Right? You want, to, you want to be led by the Spirit, sometimes you got to be willing to stand in the raging waters. We don't want to stand in it, right? We don't want to walk in the problems. We don't want to walk in the progress. We don't want to go through that stuff. We, we're just like, I'm just going to stand over here and pray that you make a way. He's like, I'm making a way, and it's for you to stand in the way. I need you to go stand in the river. And that word stand really caught my attention. It would be really hard to stand in that. Think about it as, as a priest carrying the ark. It would be really hard to stand, never mind carrying an ark, right? Raging waters, trying to stand firm. But the word in the original Hebrew has the focus of establishing oneself, of abiding in and being present in. So he's saying, go and establish yourself and be present in the raging waters. Go and establish yourself and be present in the hardship. Go and establish yourself and be present in the problem. See, when the, when the people, when people who house the Spirit of God stand in raging waters, stand in the midst of chaos, stand in storms, they bring the presence of God with them, and God-like stuff happens. God-like stuff happens. Stand in the river because miracles are about to take place, but it's raging. Stand. But it's overflowing. Stand, but I can't handle this. Stand, but my marriage. Stand, but my kids. Stand, but my job. Stand, but, but I, I'm so concerned and worried. Stand, but I'm angry. Stand, but I'm hurt. Stand, but I feel broken. Stand, but I don't know how I'll get over this. Stand. See, the scripture says in Psalms 46, 10, it says, be still. And know that I am God. It doesn't say, hey, be active and be moving around and, and freak out a little bit. It says, whoa, 
be still and watch me do my godlike stuff. Go and stand in there. Not go and, and rush across the river. Not go and try to get across quickly because you're carrying the ark of God. Not just everyone, you know, make, make a, a way for it and try to, you know, get across. No, go stand. Go stand. Be still. And you may say this. I was thinking about it. But I can't stand. And you know what? You're right. You can't. You can't stand. You can't do it on your own. And when you try to stand in raging waters on your own, you will be overcome. And when you try to stand in a place where God has not led you, listen, God told the priest to go and stand. When you go and try to stand in a, in a, in a chaos moment, in an in a impasse, in a place where progress seems impossible, where the Spirit of God has not led you, you cannot stand on your own. You will be overtaken. The priest couldn't do it, but they were carrying the presence of God. The priest couldn't stand in the raging waters, but they were carrying the presence of God. See, the presence of God has the ability to do the extraordinary. The presence of God has the ability to do the extraordinary. So what seems impossible is made possible. The same spirit, the Bible says, that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in the believer. The same spirit that caused someone who was dead to come back to life is in you. So when you stand in your problem and you stand in your impasse and you stand in the situation where progress seems impossible and you stand in your anger and you stand in your frustration and you stand in the gap where your kids are not saved, you bring the presence of God into that situation. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. But when you rest and you carry the presence of God, you can do the impossible. You can do the impossible. See, too often, church, we're trying to do things on our own strength. And sometimes we even pray a prayer. We come to Walter, we pray a prayer, we have someone pray with us, and then we go and do it on our own strength. And we forget to stand with the presence of God in us. So the presence of God leads them. When you stand in, your, when you stand in the impasse, the presence of God goes with you. It's raging. It's raging. And you may get hit by some waters. But God is with you. So I wonder if the priests were thinking that, right? Like, Somebody want to trade places? <laughs> Prince of God will be with you, but I'm scared. Prince of God will be with you. Where's, where's God in this situation? Sometimes we look at our situations and we're just trying to mentally reason ourselves through it. We think about the logical answers or whatever we can do to get through it, over it, around it. Sometimes we just need to bring God into the situation. Where's God in this? So it goes on to say this. This is the good part. And Joshua turns to the people and says, as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So God is going to make a way. Where, where there appears to be no way, God can make a way. Right? And we know this. In a situation where progress seems impossible, God can make a way. When the doctors say there's no way, God says, no, I can make a way. I know of a girl who had, a, I don't know what was going on with her back, but she was a 26-year-old, and she had this crazy back problem that literally made her walk like she was 90 years old. Literally. And she went to, a, and she, she went to doctors and specialists, and no one could figure out. She had surgery once done, and nobody could figure out. And when she had exhausted, it seemed, every possible option known to man, that's when God showed up. So she went to a conference, and they were, they were worshiping at an altar, Worshiping an altar at this conference, and that's not where she experienced God's presence. After the service was done, she was walking up these stairs with her brother because she couldn't really walk up the stairs. Up the stairs to go to the bathroom. And some teenagers from the other side of the room saw her. 
and it was a, I think it was a stadium. And they walked over and said, hey, listen, before we came, we were praying, and God said we were going to pray over someone, and something was going to happen. And she's like, okay, and we think it's you. Okay. And so they prayed over her. She went to the bathroom. When she came out, she ran down the stairs. And when we saw her in church the next day, she was running up and down the aisle. See, what seems impossible for man, it's possible with God. When doctors say it's impossible, it's possible with God. When you see no way out, it's possible with God. When you see a job loss, it's possible with God. When you see a situation with your kids and they can't be saved, it's possible with God. What is impossible is made possible through the presence of God. God can take your impasse and he can cut it off. He can make a way for you to cross over. You have no idea how to get through. You have no idea how to get over but when God's will, his presence, and his power collide with your situation, what is stopping you gets cut off. Gets cut off. And sometimes we can be surprised what's stopping us, right? Listen, you, you couldn't save yourself. You were dead in your sin, the Bible says. We were dead in our sin. It was impossible, and that's when Jesus died. He stood in our impasse. He stood in our raging rivers when he was nailed to the cross. He cut off death disease and decay and made a way for us to live and have full life. That's what he cut off. He cut it off. Jesus made a way. Where there is no way, he made a way. I invite the worship team to come. This is the cool part. It says in verse 14, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during the harvest. Yet, yet, I like that word, yet, Flood stage, yet, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. It didn't pile up in a heap right where they were. It didn't stop flowing right where they were, but from upstream, a great distance away. I looked this up, and from where they were to where it got cut off was anywhere from 32 to 48 kilometers away. 32 to 48 kilometers away. So while the priests are standing in the river, the people are on the edge, water is cut off a great distance away. See, you may not see God at work, but that doesn't mean that God is not at work. You may see an impossible situation, but that does not mean that God is not working in the impossible situation. You may see a, a situation where progress seems not impossible, but that does not mean that God is not at work. See, be, before they saw the miracle, the miracle happened. Right before they experienced the provision, the provision was already provided for a great distance away. Before they'd walked in the promise, the promise was fulfilled. See, I believe, so the scriptures say that when we keep in step with the Spirit, right, we're being led by the Spirit, by the presence of God, when we put off our old way of life, when we work out our salvation, when we follow the will and purposes of God, when we walk in obedience, even if that means standing in the impasse, God is at work, even though we don't see it. And, you, you, and we got to trust that. I don't see a way. I already made a way. I already made a way. Great distance away. It's been provided for. It's coming. So the, the water piled up. And it says this, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for us to cross over from death to life, which is the biggest miracle, so that we can stand in eternity with God, so we can have a full life today. So when you look at your situation, you can believe that the God who cut off death can cut off your situation, can cut off where progress seems impossible. When you're dealing with something in your heart and it's too big for you to carry, 
too big for you to handle. You're like, I can't get through this. It's okay. They couldn't get through the river, but they carried the presence of God. You gotta hold on to that. You gotta trust that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. If you call on the name of the Lord. The Israelites camped out for three days before the miraculous ha happened. Did you notice that Jesus was in the grave for three days before he rose from the dead? Jesus is the answer to our impossible situation. You may be thinking, you know, call, you always come back to Jesus. <laughs> I try to, because it's always about Jesus. Jesus makes a way in our impossible situation. But my kids, Jesus. Sounds like a Sunday school answer, but there's power in it. But my marriage, Jesus. My job, Jesus. He can make a way. Maybe you don't see him working, but that doesn't mean he's not working. Maybe you're not seeing the provision happen. It doesn't mean he hasn't provided. Maybe you're waiting for a miracle. He's like, I got it, it's coming. Just that great distance away. Just gotta wait for the water to reach you or the lack of water to reach you. You can look at your Jordan River and stand because you serve a God who conquers death. You serve a God who dwells in you. I wanna invite you to stand with us. We're gonna worship, this. the team's gonna lead us in that one song. I thought this was really amazing as I was prepping this message. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.